0: Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter
1: to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. With
0: the work of organizations like Forward Through Ferguson, racial equity has come to the forefront of conversations of race here in St. Louis. Much research is being done on how change can happen in the areas of racial and gender
2: equity in healthcare, the workplace, and our government. I'm Maria Sakalas, and I'm Jessica Siccone. Today we are joined by one of our new faculty members, Professor Rakaya Yerby. Rakaya specializes in racial disparities in healthcare, the political economy of healthcare and social justice in medical research. She is also working at the university level to start a center for equity and an institute for healing justice and equity. Thank you for joining us today, Rakaya.
1: Thank a, you for having me. That's
2: a long list of things you're doing. So we're we're definitely keeping you busy already, huh? Yes. <laughs> So first, let's break down what it what it means when we're talking about racial equity, and what are some of the biggest disparities that you see?
1: When we look at the history of this country, for a majority of it, the government has either actively supported or passively allowed racial inequity. Um, there are only two time periods when we look at Reconstruction for about 10 years, and the 10 years after the end of Jim Crow, where the government has tried to address racial inequality. My work tends to focus on after Jim Crow and the impacts of Jim Crow on employment, education, neighborhood development, housing, and really how that impacts access to healthcare and healthcare outcomes. And so the biggest disparity that I see is really the continuation of racial and gender bias in employment, in hiring and in wages. And that impacts a person's ability to actually pay for health care because health care is based on ability to pay in this country and health status um, because you take in the stress and you have increased levels of obesity, um, heart disease as a result of the bias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
0: that's a really good point to lead us into our next question, which is, you know, as we mentioned, Forward Through Ferguson is the organization locally here that came in came out of the aftermath of the death of Michael Brown in 2014 and they're really focusing on racial disparities in healthcare. So, as far as healthcare access goes, what kind of barriers are you seeing with healthcare access and how does that Medicaid work requirement factor
1: in here? Mhm one of the biggest barriers to access to healthcare is the ability to pay and usually that comes from the wages that you get from your job or it comes from actually having health insurance at your job We know that most employers are decreasing health insurance coverage and lots of employers do not provide health care to low wage workers. So that impacts a person's Mm -hmm. ability um, to access health care. It's also the stress related to can you get access to health care? If you go to the doctor, will you be seen? And once you are seen in the health care system, are they going to be biased against you either because of race or because of your insurance status? Status or because of your gender. How that plays into the Medicaid work requirements is that um, they just keep the cycle of inequality going. Right, It doesn't take into consideration the fact that there's bias in who we hire. We often use referral policies that impact women, uh, women of color, and men of color. They are less likely to receive referrals for jobs. Actually, Caucasian women, 12% less likely. men of color, 26% less likely, and women of color uh, 35% less likely to receive job referrals. So they're not being referred, they're not getting hired. Mm-hmm. And so then they don't have a job, they don't have health insurance, perhaps they are applying for Medicaid and saying that they then have to get a job is not going to be helpful if you're not going to change how people are hired. Right. It's also not going to um, impact uh, their ability to get access to Healthcare once they're hired because there are inequalities and biases in the ter- in terms of wages. We often uh, factor in your current wages based on past wages, and if you enter into the workforce as a woman, as a minority, you're going to start off with lower wages, which employers are allowed to keep paying you mm-hmm. because our standard is based on past wages and not based on your skills or the fact that you're doing. same job as somebody else. Mm -hmm. So the Medicaid work requirement doesn't fix that. And it doesn't actually go into communities, rural communities, communities that have a high unemployment rate and provide jobs for them as well. So um, bringing together all of these disparities and all of the racial inequities and then putting it on the backs of the people who um, can't bear it. Right. So
2: that's that's definitely a problem that's been around for a long time and especially since we have these statistics that show that you know it's kind of self-perpetuating almost is what you're saying so what are some of the solutions that you see because it seems it seems
1: like almost like it keeps happening how do we fix it Right. So if you look at the states, lots of states are passing equal pay laws, um, including California, Massachusetts. The problem with those equal pay laws is that they just compare a woman um, to their male counterpart. Mm -hmm. And so what it doesn't do is address the racial bias Mm -hmm. that is along with that. So a black woman is compared to a black man and not to a white man if she's doing the same job. And so a black man is going to get paid less than a white man Mm -hmm. so even if you're raising the black woman up to the standard of a black man she's still going to get less um, than a white man Mm -hmm. and you look at it in particular areas. Uh, Physicians they did a study that showed that African American women physicians uh, made 64 cents compared to the dollar that the Caucasian male physician made and so you can see how these get reproduced. Mm -hmm. One of the solutions that Britain has done is required um, employers that have employee more than 250 employees to post their uh, gender on uh, disparity wage information but again they didn't think about racial data so they're just looking at gender and now they're considering whether to post the racial data so i think mm-hmm. more information is better and actually pay people what they deserve mm-hmm. don't do it based on what they can negotiate if you have a uh, set job pay them what you pay everybody else mm-hmm. so is that like kind of like shaming them into
2: paying equally is that what that like the Britain goal is to
1: do? Yes. And you see uh, one company that um, I noticed in the United States, Intel. Actually, what they have tried to do is they know that people were using referrals, so they require everybody to apply through the same application process, Mm -hmm. which doesn't necessarily negate the referral. You can still refer somebody to apply Mm -hmm. through the process, Uh, but they have connected bonuses um, to diversity initiatives of retention and hiring. Mm-hmm. So 7% of your bonus is connected to actually increase in diversity and having the pay stay. Mm-hmm. So I think that is one example in the United States where we're moving towards mm-hmm. how do we address this issue. Right, right.
0: So what kind of resources are available to people who want to advance racial equity in their region, whether that's here or anywhere across the country? And then How do you see those resources working?
1: Mm -hmm. So we see uh, three main racial equity tools. You have racial impact assessments. You have equity frameworks and equity indicators. And actually here in St. Louis, they are partnered with the CUNY Institute uh, for Government, uh, and they are looking at equity indicators, trying to pick out about 72 indicators uh, to have the community vote on them to see how they impact people's lives, that's financial development, transportation, housing, identifying what those are, and then beginning to make changes in laws and policies around that. Mm-hmm. The equity framework and equity impact assessment is used by Race Forward uh, and the Governmental Alliance on Race, Racial and Equity, and they work with governments across the country, training, uh, doing changes in policy, um, and I think that you you can use all of those tools. Right now I'm working with Professor Sydney Watson on a research project where we want to look at the use of racial equity tools and see if they've influenced laws and policies that impact racial disparities in healthcare.
2: So I've heard a lot kind of to dovetail off that a little bit I've heard a lot about the use of technology and artificial intelligence and in policing And many argue that this furthers racial inequities and biases. How do you know about that? And, like, how will that? really affect inequities when this tech is used.
1: Yes. Uh, AI and policing is just like our markets and medical research and science. They are just an extension of our biases and inequalities in our systems. And so we program in our bias. And so when you look at artificial intelligence and policing, it's trying to use it in terms of who is going to commit the crimes, which is just based off of who we actually prosecute for the crimes which is very different Mm -hmm. based on the level of crime we can look at crack versus cocaine Mm -hmm. right crack had a stiffer penalty even though it was the same as cocaine but it was a difference in who was using it we can look at that in terms of the opiate crisis and heroin and now it's a public health issue but years ago when it was primarily minorities women uh, we looked at it as a crime and Mm -hmm. now we're changing it to public health um, and the same thing uh, with our markets. So I would say I definitely see inequalities being systematized and institutionalized. Um, but then we'll say, well, you know, this is just artificial intelligence, right? right? It's just science. Our biases aren't in mm-hmm. there, but we're putting them in there I know, to it's, begin with. It's a scary little uh, catch-22 almost. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So here at the local university level, can you fill us in on your plans to pursue racial equity here at SLU?
1: Yeah, so I'm a co-founder of the Institute for Healing Justice and Equity, along with Dr. Amber Johnson in communications, Dr. Kira Banks, who's in psychology, and Dr. Keon Gilbert, who's at the College of Public Health. And we are working together to study some of the racial equity tools and systems um, being used to lead systemic change around racial inequality. I'm particularly looking at changes in law, policy, and in health. We're working to support community groups that are doing this work to train students and professors to work with communities to increase equity, to understand their own biases so they don't continue to perpetuate it. and Dr. Johnson and Dr. Banks are working to develop healing justice practices um, because, as Dr. Johnson says, that we cannot achieve equity unless we heal from the trauma of inequity. So really beginning to interrogate how it's impacted us when we're discriminated against Um And particularly in St. Louis, right? When you go through a tragedy like Mike Brown, when you go through Ferguson, how that changes you Mm -hmm. and how we need to heal that before we can talk about moving forward to equity and working together as a community.
0: What are, if anything, what is a point of optimism we could leave the listeners with where maybe we've seen some progress in either locally or nationally?
1: I would say nationally the excitement that I have is that we're moving together to work as communities to address problems that we see. Mm-hmm. I think in prior years we've relied on the government to be to fill that gap um, to make changes to improve our society and now I think that we're banding together as individuals, as communities as groups across religions, across races uh, to really make a change. Um, for me, uh, particularly looking at the student movements, I go back to the Occupy movements, mm-hmm. which then have flowed into the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. which have flowed into um, other movements around immigration. And what's exciting is that you have all of these different people coming together to fight for equality. and equity in the U.S. And I hope we just continue to do that because even if the government takes up uh, the role to do that, Mm -hmm. that we as citizens still have to push and make sure that the government um, is doing what they're supposed to do and that our communities look like we want them to. Mm
0: Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much, Rikaya, um, for being here today. We've loved having you. And make sure to tune in next time for the next issue of SLU Law Summations.
1: Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.